Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning, really good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov, and you are listening to Pull Up a Chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. There was a famous song when it says, what a difference a day makes. Well, we could sing in Israel. First of all, in Israel every day, what a difference a day makes. But certainly from the last time we got together, what a difference a week makes. I mean... We finished the show last week, all huggy, kissy-feely, you know, warm vibes. And then we had a war in between. And then this morning, the sun is shining and Blinede, with God's help, I'm going up actually for Shabbos to the Lebanese border. <laughs> so it's a, no wonder they say Israelis are crazy. Of course we're crazy. Um, and... Cute, cute. We can laugh. We can make jokes. The reality is not a joke, but let's start off with some heartwarming, good shout outs, and then we'll get into the nitty gritty of life in Israel. Let me just turn around the monitor here. All right. So first of all, very, very grateful that you're listening in in our romper room moment. I want to say hi to everybody listening in. It's late at night in the U.S. U.S. is listening in. Boketov Eretz Israel. Let's have a quiet Shabbos, right? Um, Australia's with us this morning. South Africa. Aren't we together, South Africa? Um, Uganda is with us today. Very nice. Japan, Colombia, Indonesia, New Zealand, and, of course, our stalwart Canadian friends are listening in. And anybody else coming in during the show, if I get word of it, I'll give it a shout-out because it really does mean a lot. Um, we'll talk in a moment, you know, this show doesn't get very political because on this station, there are those who do it better, far more, um, with far more, you know, rooted understandings and really fabulous, enviable information. And I'm telling you, Israel News Talk Radio is the place for you to, if you don't leave it on all day long, hit it every once in a while catch up to what you might not know. So as I said, I'm going up this Shabbos. I'll be up in Tel Chai, the community of Tel Chai. I actually first heard of Tel Chai. Let's you know what an ignoramus I am. Uh, back in, I think it was 1973, my sister, my beloved sister, who hopefully will do a show with me a few uh, weeks from now during uh, the Sukkot holiday, uh, she went on an archaeological dig uh, in Tel Chai. There's a lot of miraculous finds there. Enormous, precious Jewish history is to be found. And she was one of the first on one of the first digs there. Now it's a very sophisticated community. And yet, on the other hand, there's something so untouched, so pristine, so wholesome around the community there. And if you have trouble finding it on your maps, uh, check out Kiryat Shmona. Not for all the negative, you know, remember all the Katusha rockets falling into Kiryat Shmona? Tfu, tfu, tfu. Think about just the farms, the cafes, the antique shops, the camping, the views. Absolutely 
beautiful. So I will report next week. I'll tell you what it's like up in Kiryat Shimona. I'm actually going to camp. I'm going to visit my husband who's working in a summer camp for a few days for children with mental and physical disabilities. As I said, it's been a strange week. We were together. What was it? We were together last Thursday morning. Business as usual. Have a good Shabbos. Bye-bye, everybody. Drop me a note. Blah, 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 blah. And suddenly, Erev Shabbos, my across-the-hall neighbor, Erev Shabbos, is Shabbos Eve. She tells me she's going to – I'm sorry. I shouldn't be laughing. She's going to Beersheva for Shabbos. Oh, great. Have a good Shabbos. Children in Beersheva. Right before Shabbos, my husband calls me and says – we have to uh, leave on the phones on Shabbos. He, my husband is part of, um, oh gosh, I'm losing the English this morning. The, the, the command, the Northern command, meaning he drives a van for this institution for which he works. And in case of war down South, up North, he could be called at any time. He has to strap on his gun, drive and pick up civilians who need shelter. So, you know, on one hand, it kind of feels heroic, like, oh, woohoo. on the other hand, it's very, very scary. It's not a good thing to have your phones on, on Shabbos, and to have that sense of vigilance. And then Motsi Shabbos, thank God, thank God, there were no calls. And um, we go to separate places to hear the um, Echa, the reading of, I think it's Kohelis, Kohelis. And the, the as we ushered in Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, the day of mourning. And I remember I went to the old city. It was eerily quiet on the way there. The streets were indeed very, very empty. And I had the schus, the merit to be sitting. Actually, I didn't enter the old city. I sat outside on the walls, the upper walls of the community of Yamin Moshe, where the Montefiore windmill is and we saw we overlooked the old city and the reading of the destruction and surrounded shoulder to shoulder post-covid terror where we could finally congregate together and read and hear and intuit what happens when we run from god's law and um, it was very meaningful. I came a few moments late to my actual scheduled reading, and I was I, I felt terrible because the buses weren't running. Anyway, as I'm leaving, I said, okay, I'll read it. I saw people were gathering, and there was another reading. So I joined another group, young, cute, adorable people. And um, the only funny, you know, it's Andrea, I have to find the funny moment. There was a tourist who had no idea why nothing was really open and why it's so quiet. It's Saturday night in Jerusalem. Something should be happening. Something should be happening. And this guy is sitting there. He he looked a little bit like the late actor William Hurt. And the reason I say that is because he didn't look like he was born to the tribe. And he was sitting on a bench at the rear of all of these Kohelet readings, eating by himself a huge pizza pie. And it was just very, very funny. It was a very um, <laughs> twisted kind of a uh, a picture. Okay, so those are my notes to open up our show. And we're almost done with the 
entrance of the show. So our last words about war is very sad. I have a son who lives in Tel Aviv. That's not the sad part. Um, what is sad? He doesn't, can't come here for Shabbos so often. But he lives in Tel Aviv. He um, lives quite a secular life. He's extremely, ironically, uh, his politics fall, however, far to the right of, say, his neighbors in the neighborhood. And he's in charge of his community bomb shelter in his Tel Aviv building. And there was something very sad because I said to him, I called him like Arab Shabbos, and I said, listen, are you set up? The warnings, the threats, say Tel Aviv is under siege and the line of fire, blah, blah, blah. And he said to me, yeah, same old, same old, sigh. And um, I worry about us. I worry about us getting jaded. Because being under siege is aberrant. You know, the famous cartoon, Dry Bones, just a wonderful, wonderful cartoon. And they just did this, just to give you a feeling of what it feels like to live here. The Dry Bones cartoon came out, I think it was Sunday morning, and it said, once again, Israel was forced to fight a war. And once again, the world can't forgive us for winning. It doesn't matter which war. It doesn't matter what's going on. Whatever it is, they tell us, you know, um, so you may say, well, you know, who was fighting? So let me just tell you, um, we have Hamas against Israel, Fatah against Israel, Hezbollah is against Israel, the Islamic Jihad is against Israel, Fatah, however, is against Hamas. Hamas and Fatah are against the Islamic Jihad. Now, what do all of these groups against Israel have in common? Every one of them is fighting each creepy organization hell-bent on destroying one another and making sure that no one succeeds. Every one of them, they were given a piece of Gan Eden, given a piece of the Garden of Eden when we exited the communities. Each one of them is crawling to climb to the top and steal all of the money that comes in from Iran and foreign countries, including those of you, especially the West, listening in and instead of donating it to the Arabs of their own communities. Um, important to know in the last few minutes of the show, and one of the reasons I can speak in such a uh, little bit strident and a little bit humor-filled voice, although this war certainly cost us more money, and the tax dollars we pay to put into defense is obscene. Nevertheless, Baruch Hashem, I mean, you can't put a price on fear and terror, but we didn't bury anybody due to this war, um, unlike other times. So one of the things that you must be aware, what we're dealing with as my sons, same old, same old, sigh, sigh, the Islamic Jihad rockets, who did they kill? They killed more citizens in Gaza than any of our retaliatory airstrikes did. Okay? Um, let's see. So that's, I think, all we're going to talk about war today. By the way, I do want to toss out before we have to go off the um, until we take our little break. If you, any information about the show, any article I quote, anything I come up with, drop me a note. You want more information? I know my good friend Austin really holds my feet to the fire each week. Send me, send me, send me. Drop me a note. 
Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. I will send you the links to wherever I get the information. When we come back, we're going to talk about our woohoo moments, some really good stuff going on in Israel, um, some off the beaten path things to do with the family. And you know what? Tonight is Tuba Av. For those of you who don't know, I'll explain it late, later. But let's think love. See you on the other side. Pull up a chair, IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. You know, just just make it like a link. Definitely make it a link on your uh, on your screen. So it'll be very. Hold on, I'm looking at these pages that I have here. I did. You know, I'm so bored. I don't want to do a war. Um, we're kind of bored. we have a lot of woohoo moments, but you know what? Let's put this aside for now, okay? See, I told you the show is very very personal. We just. You know, if I have to blow my nose, you get to hear it. Okay, here we go. So tonight is, we have to be very careful with this. Tonight, I knew it was sometime around here. And suddenly before the show, I had all my notes printed out. And I said, hey, wait a second. It was Tisha B'Av. So that must mean that we're coming up on two B'Av. Tisha B'Av is the ninth of the month of Av. Tuba'av is the 15th day of the month of of. And it's actually an ancient holiday, which has taken on, I mean, we, we, it has modern overtones. So before we even start, you're going to do all your Googling. I know, I know Todd in California is a very big Googler. And uh, he also holds my feet to the fire uh, on a pretty regular basis. Whatever you look up of Tuba Av, immediately delete any link that calls it the Jewish Valentine's Day. There is no such thing um, as something as so inherently Christian as Valentine's Day. It is something that will never be discussed on this show, only to tell you that we don't celebrate it. So if you want to bring your wife roses, bring it for this Shabbos, bring it for tonight, because it's Tuba of. And um, it was originally a well, they say post-biblical, meaning post, um, you know, the post-Torah uh, era. It was a day of joy, and it served as a, we call it like the National Shidduch Day, uh, matchmaking for unmarried women in the Second Temple period before uh, Yerushalayim fell in the year 70, before the Common Era. Now, um, I, I think I, I want to laugh because... I. I remember growing up and hearing something about Sadie Hawkins Day. Anybody listening in <laughs> remember Sadie Hawkins Day? It was the day you got to go out and ask a boy for a date. Am I aging myself? Am I dating myself here? I think so. So it really was kind of, it's a minor holiday. It went unnoticed in the Jewish calendar for many, many, many centuries. But it was recently rejuvenated Um because of the pressure of the outside world to have us celebrate that unnameless holiday. So we don't really know when Tuba Av started. The first mention of the date is actually, I found this out, comes out of the Mishnah. 
um, at the end of the second century when Ramban Shimon ben Gamliel is quoted saying they were no better or meaning happier days for the people of Israel than the 15th of Av and Yom Kippur, since on these days the daughters of Israel, Banot Israel and Yerushalayim, go out dressed in white and dance in the vineyards. What were they saying? Young men, consider whom you choose to be your wife. And um, I have some notes. Oh, look at that, blank pages. So, I started to Google about it, and then I came up with some really terrible statistics. So forgive me, because you know for a long time, I know those of us who are very, very pressured and very concerned with the, um, really, the the decimating Jewish population in the world because of primarily intermarriage, assimilation, came across an article that um, I think it was from Aisha Torah. I don't even know if it's a recent article. I think this is a recent article. And the name of the article says, Why Get Married? And it claims that the marriage rate today is the lowest that it's ever been. Ah, I know what it was. And it was saying, it started off, I must have deleted this line, that the divorce rate has gone down. So before anybody gives a round of applause, yay, it used to be 50% divorce rate, 80% divorce rate. No, it's gone down because fewer and few people are choosing to get married. Um, it's the lowest it's been since the, um, since actually America kept keeping records. Did you know this? 1867. And of those who do marry, 50% will divorce in a marriage lasting just eight and a half years. So Judaism has always looked at marriage as as good for society, good for the world. But again, when we're under such incredible pressure by the world, let's see, I, I took these notes, you know, um, that I really like the idea of starting a movement, but beginning with ourselves, making our own marriages healthy, not relying on Hollywood or social media for defining what makes a healthy marriage, but instead going back to the sources of why the Torah says a man must leave his father and mother and cling to his wife so they become one flesh. This is not fancy talk. It's not Torah. It's not lofty talk. Well, it doesn't apply today. A child, according to this article, is a receiver focused on himself and dependent upon others. Children don't see anything out of the world. Children, it's interesting, I, I, I remember learning a long time ago that children can't even contemplate the concept of death until between the ages of five and seven. It's so abstract because they really see themselves as so self-centered, so eternal, so forever connected. Um, but, you know, when a person clings to their spouse, however, and becomes one, realizes that that partner with whom they stood under the chuppah is their safe zone, their home base, their forever trust, the place that will never betray them. A concept so foreign to today's thinking. Only in that way can we really grow independent together concerned with and responsible for one another. 
marriage is work, but it fosters a growth, a maturity. And again, my favorite point, a trust that, um, well, Rabbi Chaim Vital was, uh, he was a great 16th century mystic. And he said, a person's character traits are primarily measured based upon how they are or rather behave with their spouse. You know, um, in my coaching practice, one of the things that when I'm working with couples, we sort of have this, this triad. Uh, I have this kind of audiovisual. I have this incredible table that I have from, I don't know where, I, I think maybe my husband brought it into the marriage. I don't think I brought it. Anyway, it's a, like a tree, like three, three legs. And you put in it, if you can imagine, it's carved of ebony ebony wood beautiful and at the at the top of each of the legs of the table you know kind of opens up and spreads sort of like um a tripod yeah forms into a tripod and at the top of the tripod you see a little head and then you put in a a plate a matching plate a piece of wood and it holds it up however when you look at the tripod the three legs i always say to the client take a look at this how is it created and there are no breaks the three legs of the tripod that spread out to hold this platter are carved from one piece of wood, one piece. And what we talk about, when we talk about marriage, the pillars of a marriage, we talk about safety, honesty, and kindness to and for one another. And with one of those pieces miss missing, you can't have the other. You can't have dishonesty, but expect kindness and feel safe. You can't live and say, well, I'm honest. I don't have to be so kind. It all goes together. And Adam HaRishon, Adam, was originally created by himself. He actually had male and female. He was like the new age sensitive guy, you know. He knew his inner female. Um... The essential, an essential part of the core of a person is to be by himself, comfortable being alone, liking your own interests. But soon after, God says, you know what? It's not good for a human to be alone. I will make a fitting counterpart for him. You know, alone, man is a taker. God wants man to be a giver. And so he creates marriage, the need to compromise, to prioritize prioritize a partner. I once said to a, uh, a woman I knew in synagogue, who I knew was very involved in good deeds. And I guess I was sort of getting involved in the whole shidduch scene. I think I was single myself at the time. And I said to her, shidduch is the matchmaking. So let's use the, uh, the Hebrew word. And I said to her, are you, uh, do you do shidduchim? And she said, no, 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 no. Not my thing. And I only later understood that for all of us, it has to be our thing. That if we are blind to the desires of those in our community who want to build a Jewish home, create Jewish families, we cannot be 
absent. And I have taken kooky kooky. I keep a, a, a lined paper in my studio. And every time I come across, I generally come across women. And unfortunately, there are too many single women as opposed to men. And I keep a list and I keep a name. And I also, this week, I spoke with a woman with a with a mild hearing disability, and she's 37. She said the minute somebody hears that she has this hearing disability, they kind of write her off. If we are not whole, if our tapestry is torn, if there is a mark in our community, we are all marked, we are all torn. It is time to look out for one another, especially post Tisha B'Av. Let's talk more about this on the other side. And we're back. We're back. Andrea Simon told pull up a chair. On IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. This is a section. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not speaking slower for a reason. Although you know, <laughs> we could. We could watch the clock and say, "Gee, it must be something technical with the station." No, I'm sort of looking through my notes, and um, I, I can't believe that we're actually in the third segment of the show because so much to share. Um, just. Again, I'd love to know your thoughts, your thoughts on this tuba of, your thoughts on marriage. And um, I'm kind of just fleshing it out, fleshing it out with myself because, you know, the day-to-day life is hectic. It really is hectic. Um, so many people have real concerns, real heartache, indeed, terrible challenges, and they could be saying, like, now I have to like go looking and see. I can't even hold my old marriage together. I have to make other people. But we have to stop making those jokes. You know, let's make matches. Let's make more people as miserable as we are. To put, you know, it's not a borscht belt comedy. And we're sometimes our own worst enemies. And a lot of the funniest jokes that came from, sadly, Jewish comedians um, are really, they're misogynistic. They're belittling and they are antithetical to who we are in our holiest state. You know, marriage is not for convenience. It's not designed to make us comfortable. It's not for a roommate. It's to complement one another, to bolster one another's souls and to celebrate that exclusive person who is of our flesh. And um, uh, there's a very famous story. I remember when I, I, you know, when I was getting married to Ronnie, um, we did a lot of learning together because we both came from disparate um, marital experiences. How's that? (laughs) Is that subtle? And we know this story. There was a, a very famous story of um, Rabbi Arye Levin. He accompanied his wife to a Jerusalem clinic. Famous, famous story. And so the physician inquired what was wrong. His wife was the one who was ill. And he said, doctor, my wife's foot is hurting us. And another time, uh, Rav Arye Levin was traveling in a cab when the driver asked, 
what is your home address? And Rabbi Arye told him, I used to have a home, but my wife passed away. Now I have an address. You know, we know, we know, the fact is we can make all the borscht belt jokes we want, but research shows that the mental, physical, and emotional benefits of marriage um, are undisputed. And people who are married live longer. So our job today is not to not to finish fixing the world but to embark on its healing and if we can just help one friend as we enter tuba of uh, one friend to we don't have to get it right we don't have to introduce them to their ultimate make uh, mate we have to Put one step into the Yamsuf, into the Sea of Reeds, and watch the waters spread. Just be involved in the process, but never, ever, ever say, Waho, Shiduchim, not my thing, not my game. It's not who we are. Okay. I'm I'm very involved in matchmaking this week. Let me know what your experiences are. Okay. Um, away from the mic, back to the mic. Okay, we're going to talk about Parsha. We're going to start with Parsha because, you know, this is our Thursday morning show. And I know so many of us are listening actually on podcast. No, us, the royal us. But we know that it's Erev Shabbos. We always end the show with a Shabbat Shalom. So in studying the Parsha, I came across this lovely commentary um, by Rabbi Hirsch, Rabbi Simcha Raphael Hirsch. And he comments that on Shabbos, man acknowledges that all he possesses and all that he has comes from where? Comes from Hashem and ultimately will return to him. That what he owns comes not from our own physical strength, but from the strength of God who demonstrated in Yitziat Mitzrayim, the exodus from Egypt, that it was his Yad Chazaka and Zeroa Netuya, the strong hand and powerful sword, his strong hand and his outstretched arm that redeemed Israel from Egypt, keeping the Sabbath, this is an ongoing reminder, a constant reminder of this eternal truth. The Rambam states that the exodus from Egypt, we're all going to be fluent here, Yitziat Mitzrayim. Um, wait, I want to I just take a minute. Um, there are those listening to the show who really are, are new to Hebrew and don't know Hebrew, and that's why I kind of do the translation. The other, There are other people who are very versed in Hebrew, um, know it backwards and forwards, and might feel occasionally belittled by my constant translation. Let's all understand that we're all listening with the same heart, the same ear, and we're all part of the same fabric. So I hope that all of you will have patience with the back and forth trans uh, translating and occasional transliteration. And you should also know that the program engineer, I sometimes get sloppy and I forget because there's certain words that we only use in Hebrew that have English translations, but I almost don't know them uh, because it's so self-explanatory. You know, we speak in different language here in Hebrew in Israel, those of us who come from uh, Western backgrounds, we call it Hebrish. And so occasionally the engineer will write me a note 
translate. You know, they'll take the note, the word I said, and say, oh, thank you. Thank you, El Engineero. Okay, you see, I'm, I'm multilingual. So um, the Ramban, again, we get back, the Ramban states that the Yitzias Mitzrayim, the exodus from Egypt, is irrefutable, this irrefutable, I love that word, historical evidence um, of Hashem's supreme powers. It was documented all over the world. And as they found papyrus sheets from other civilizations in the ancient world, it was clear that something monumental had happened to the Hebrew people in the Midbar, in the desert. He in heaven who causes everything to come into existence controls only as he wills it. Keeping the Sabbath, we are edim, witnesses to this reality. We're going to speak more about the word ed, an incredible word. Also, the me'amloaz indicates that although HaKadosh Baruch Hu, um, God, rested on the seventh day of creation in Egypt, we had to work seven days a week for Paro, and we could not rest. It always baffles me that there are Jews that do not grab the Sabbath, hop it, and say, finally, self, self, I'm allowed what was not permitted to me in the saddest days of my history. You know, in taking us out of Egypt, God gave us the Shabbat to rest and remind us of the creation. Furthermore, you know, an act of creation only informed us that God is the prime mover, a concept that's also acknowledged by philosophers all over the world and from every culture, but that creation is also a continuous event. And this is the ikar. This is the point. We're constantly in the process of creation. God created the world in seven days, but what really happened was the blueprint for a forever until the coming of Moshiach blueprint was established. That was the point. And Hashem is concerned with the world and its inhabitants. And he will intercede in the world if necessary. That's what was confirmed in Egypt because the Jews couldn't get out. We had reduced ourselves spiritually and physically to the 49th level of Tumet impurity, where we would have disappeared into the annals of history forever. We would have been nothing more than a book on the shelves in ancient Greece, along with the Bhagavad Gita and the Quran and the New Testament and all other, other religious books. But we were plucked, plucked out in a miraculous fashion. Don't use that word miracle or miraculous. Don't use it sloppily because it means something great. And in the end, we need both ideas. The idea of creation, that kind of, forgive me for the word, that evolutionary musical heartbeat pulsing vibe to the evolving earth and Yitzhiyatz Mitzrayim being plucked from the land to tell us that this is the reason for the seventh day 
and not any other day. It's the day designated for rest and that it is, that it is Israel only. Am Yisrael, not any other nation, that it is commanded to keep the Sabbath. In this Parsha, the Parsha, the Etchanan, okay, I think you have to be born to the tribe to really get that ch in there. So you can practice it, say it three times fast. Etchanan, Etchanan, Etchanan. Okay, so in Parsha's Etchanan, some of the main topics include the Shema, Shema Yisrael, tefillin, the phylacteries that Jewish men wrap around their arms, and the Ten Commandments. Uh, so I told you we're going to mention that word Ed, Ayin Dalid, witness. So in reference to the Shema, we note that the letter Ayin, Shema, is enlarged, as is the letter Dalid in Echad, one. It is written this way in the Torah and in most Sidors, Jewish prayer books, to teach us that the combination of these two letters form the word Ed, meaning witness. Each and every Jewish person who recites the Shema twice daily, morning in the Shacharit prayer, the morning prayer, and at night, we bear witness that Hashem in heaven is the one and only God of all the nations of the world. Time. I've heard it said, I don't really like this, it's kind of a joke, but uh, I hope you find it as humorous as I do, but um, uh, the joke says that life, <laughs> life is like a roll of toilet paper. The closer you get to the end, the faster it goes. Stick a dish. Well, in this week's Parsha, I say it because the year this year, I don't know, the year used to last forever when I was a young girl. From Rosh Hashanah to Rosh Hashanah it was like about 12 years in between. So much happened. And suddenly, you know, I, I'm still putting away the apple and honey dishes from last year and I have to pull them out again. You know what? doesn't bother. It doesn't, doesn't pay to clean the house. Take it from me. Because this week's Parsha, the Etchanan, begins the seven-week period of consolation and condolence that bridges that time-space between Tisha B'Av and Rosh Hashanah, the ninth of Av, and the new year. So in order to properly prepare for that oncoming year and its challenges, we have to first be comforted by that vision of better times that lie ahead. And the belief in one's ability to somehow overcome the aforementioned challenges that I said that each of us struggle in our own private Dalid Amos, our own personal orbits. Healing occurs when one believes that there is a future ahead. You know, doctors, uh, we've all, we all read the same articles. We all have the same. If you listen to the show, I'm sure you have the same algorithms as I do. And you get all the upbeat reports from doctors on hope and optimism on the part of the patient that are great aids in the process in recovering from illness or even injury. I know that I've heard so many times, um, I've even seen it with my own eyes in my la in my lifetime, hearing about a Bubby or a Zadie, a grandma or grandpa who's ill, 
but somehow manages to beat the odds, the doctor's uh, predicted window of their passing on in order to make it to that one last Seder, Passover Seder, or a grandchild's wedding, or a graduation. And somehow right afterwards, they move on to the next world, but they beat the odds. Why? It was something to look forward to. You know, if we wouldn't have that time or the vision to recover from sadness before the advent, if we went from right from Tisha B'Av, our lowest of low, the bleakest part, the bleakest picture of Jewish existence, and we had to go right into Rosh Hashanah, Hayomim Noarim, the most meaningful days of our year, we, we couldn't do it. We wouldn't have the right attitude. Throughout the book of Devarim, Moshe's pain at not being allowed to enter the land of Israel, it's sort of like a pall hanging over. But Moshe is strengthened. He's even, somehow, he's consoled. He's happy knowing that B'nai Yisrael is going to into the land and they're going to be going in under the guidance of his beloved disciple, Yehoshua. And Moshe has a firm conviction that the people of Israel will indeed conquer and settle the land. While he's sad for himself, He's so delighted for others. It does bring him a great comfort. And, you know, comfort and consolation, it comes in different forms. You know, what may cause comfort to one person may not be effective for another. That's why also the rules of mourning, visiting a mourner, are so critical. You never say to somebody who's mourning, well, at least she didn't suffer. Or you're lucky to have had him so many years. The first rule of visiting a mourner is, Shut up. Wait until you're spoken to. And don't project that which comforts you onto that person because there's no substitute for consolation and healing and time. This Parsha also deals with the Ten Commandments of Sinai. You know, um, the first of the Ten Commandments. We talked about this, I think it was last week or two weeks ago. It was given at the beginning of the Jewish sojourn in the Midbar, in the desert. There was no golden calf when Moshe went up. There were no complaints about the man, the manna. Uh, there were no spies. There was no Korach undermining um, the great plan. There were no plagues. Nothing had yet occurred. No plagues of the snakes in the desert. Nothing had occurred. Everything was good to diminish that light and aura of Sinai. It was almost a per- Well, no, I'm not going to say almost. It was such a perfect society that there's no reason for us not to recognize the values and laws of the commandments as being valid, necessary, and applicable. Forty years later. Moshe stands at the edge of the land that he will not enter after all the disappointments and rebellions, backsliding, pettiness, indeed the death of an entire generation. And he reassures us that the second Ten Commandments, 
the more precious, the more cherished luchot, plaques, that all those values and rules, they haven't changed at all. Many things have happened to the people since Moshe's speech before his death. Many have mistakenly thought that all of the changes today in technology, economies, world orders, social media, have made the Ten Commandments, the Torah, and Halakha just a little less relevant. So we remember Moshe, and we know that his word stands, and he speaks to us to remind us that the basic anchor of Jewish life, and in fact, all world civilization, lies in the words of Sinai. Everything may have changed, but human beings... Mm-mm. Neither have God's instructions to us changed. I would just want to say one other word on this. Let's see. We're going to, okay. Um, it is implicit. You know, God says, well, all right. Um, another word. Okay. The Lord said to me, Moshe says to Hashem, he says to Hashem, I, please, please, I made a mistake. You took away from me the opportunity to go in. But please, if I have any favor in your eyes, of course, I'm, you know, this is uh, my words, but you get the drift. Please, God. And what does Hashem say to him? And the Lord said to me, let it suffice thee. Speak no more to me of the matter. It's related in the Yalkut that when Moshe prayed to be allowed to live, to enter Eretz Israel, he told Hashem, quote, Thou hast written in the Torah, and if a slave shall say, I have come to love my master, I will not go out free. He may remain with his master forever. Now when I, thy servant, make the same request, why should my request be refused? and I should be made to leave this world? But the Lord replied, let it, suffi- let it suffice this. Speak no more to me of the matter. When, what, what, what is the meaning of this reply? So the Gemara explains, and if the slave should plainly say to be understood that his request is, I have come to love my master, I will not go out free. He says it two times. According to this interpretation, if Moshe would have had the opportunity to repeat his request, Hashem would have been duty-bound to grant it. That would have been impossible because Hashem had decreed that Moshe could not live to enter Eretz Yisrael. A divine decree once given is irreversible. Therefore, Hashem, in order to keep Moshe from repeating his plea, says to him, speak. No more to me of the matter. Post Tisha B'Av. Let me go over, I pray thee, and see the good land. Isn't it obvious that he, Moshe, will go over into the land? He'll be able to see it? Of course. However, the Torah is making the statement that man must pray at all times, that Hashem must cause him to see the good in everything. Consequently, Moshe prays. Let me go over and see 
the good side of the promised land. From the Torah to your table this Shabbos, Rabbi Yisrael Salanta comments on consider it in your heart and the Shema. It's not merely sufficient to know it, to know I will love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul. It is sublime knowledge has to be taken into our hearts. The task continues that the entire worship is incumbent on a Jew. The space that separates knowing from laying it into our hearts is as great as that which stands between knowledge and ignorance. As we enter this Shabbos, post Tisha B'Av, and yet beginning the great holy season, let us see the good in one another. Let us see the good in the land. And let us see the good that has been bestowed upon us. Shabbat Shalom Umivorach from Jerusalem. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dots, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dots from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.